0: You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Well, we're continuing our Lent series called The Last Week, and we're taking a look, day-by-day look, at the last week of Christ. Last week, we looked at his last Sunday before his death, Beryl, and resurrection and today we're looking at Monday 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 during this Lenten season uh, some of us are fasting many of us are fasting and and listening to my care group man we are approaching the that whole fasting thing a lot of different ways there's no wrong answer to that uh, but this is a season of contemplation and uh, the church historically has looked at fasting as a way of, of giving something up in order to, for a season, just to connect a little deeper with God, uh, a little deeper with Christ. And so that's why we do that. We also ask that during this season, as we come close, closer and closer to Easter, that you will be praying for your just one. Pray for that just one person or that one family that you sense God wants you to help connect them to who he is and what he's doing. And so be praying for them and look for opportunities to invite them to Easter service. You could invite them to either join you uh, in person or join you at your home and maybe do a special meal afterwards. But be praying for your just one. And then if we could be considering uh, the 30 service for that particular day, and and just trying to uh, create space for people uh, to t- attend with their um, friends and family. Uh, consider that as well. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't do well with distractions. In college, living in a dorm with fifty other people my age that uh, I could talk to just about any moment of the day was disastrous. I almost never got my homework done when I lived there. When I lived in an apartment by myself or with actually with a roommate, a whole lot less distractions. And when it comes taking time with God, people are my biggest distractions. If we have uh, if a family member gets up early, which is not their norm, if they happen to get up when I, when I get up and they want to talk and all that kind of stuff, or they got the TV rolling, I, I have such a hard time staying focused and connecting deeply with God. And it, it just got me thinking, what is it for you? What gets in the way of you deeply connecting with your God? Is it is a lack of understanding because no one has really taught you how to do that? If that's the case, we want to work with you. That's where everybody starts. Is it a lack of commitment? Is there sin that gets in the way? to where, where all you could see is the sin, and you can't see your God because of that sin? Is it a season of life? I mean, I've had that when we spent a ton of time in Seattle, at Seattle Children's Hospital, and our youngest was in the hospital, and, and people were coming and going. We're living, literally living in, in a hospital room, and people are coming and going all the time, all, all through the day, all through the night, and you just never knew when someone was going to show up. That was so challenging, connecting deeply with God and then sometimes other Christians can cause problems. They could they could get in a way. We I've seen some people just get really frustrated with with their with a Christian group and and because of that frustration they don't know how they can't get past that in order to connect deeply with God. And then sometimes it's a combination of these. Like there, there's two or three of these all at the same time. What is it for you? Well, let's look at this week's story and see what it has to say about connecting deeply with God. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Jesus became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat. From you again, and the disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach them and say to them. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up being reminded peter said to the said to him rabbi look the fig tree which you cursed has withered now i mentioned last week that jesus in his final week he is not going to waste a moment like a master painter as he's finishing the painting as as he's completing his masterpiece his work not wasting one stroke. Jesus curses a fig tree and lo behold, it becomes cursed. This is the man, the son of God that you and I worship. But I want to provide you with some context for this story because it's so easy to read through this. It seems like like, this just was a, just a one, two, three, all right, we're done kind of a moment. Like, like this is a 30-minute 30, 30 show that Jesus puts on in the temple. I think it's bigger than that, and this is why. Look at this first picture. This is the Temple Mount. I took this picture about five year, years ago from the Mount of Olives, And you see there in the center, the Dome of the Rock, and that was built in the late 7th century, okay? The next picture shows us what the Temple Mount looked like at the time of Christ. You have the temple there in the center, and out in front of that, there's a courtyard. Uh, That's the courtyard for the priests, and then you have the altar. And the men and young boys, or, or boys of a certain age, if they... If they were circumcised, if they were total adherence to the 613 laws, they could go to the altar to make their sacrifices. The women would have to hold back into the court of the women. That's that next court. And there's, and there's some a couple other smaller courts in there. There's the court of the lepers, and I don't remember all the other courts. And then the court of the Gentiles wraps around the whole temple. Okay. That is what the temple looked like. And the area that Jesus is cleansing is the court of the Gentiles. That's what he's cleansing out. You got that picture? Let's look at the next picture. So if you are standing on Mount Sentinel by the Am and you look down into Grizzly Stadium. That's what it's like. It's, it's, the distance is further. The offset is further. But it's, it's really similar to stand at the M and to look into Grizzly Stadium as it is to look from the uh, uh, Mount of Olives that Jesus descended the day before on the donkey. He could see into The Temple Mount. But the Temple Mount is a big space. It would take up most of the campus. It's roughly 25 football fields. That's how big of a space that Jesus is cleansing. Now, let's say the temple and its inner courts are 10 football fields. Jesus cleared 15 football fields. 15 football fields. I imagine he didn't do that by himself. I imagine that even the disciples weren't enough. Let's say there's 70 disciples with Jesus at this time. Is that enough to clear 15 football fields of those who are buying and selling, of money changers, of those selling doves, and people carrying merchandise. I wonder if the whole crowd was kind of tired of what was going on, what the temple had become. I imagine the whole crowd helped Jesus clear the temple because they had experienced Trauma experienced, uh, well, you have to understand that when Jesus says, this place has become a den of robbers, his first target, his, his first audience for those words would have been the Sadducees. The Sadducees were their, they were the ruling class. They were the priests that were in charge of the temple. They... They had that position because they were the highest bidders. Herod put it out to the highest bidder. Who wants to be the chief priest? Who wants to lead this nation spiritually? And they did it in a way that was corrupt. They were the religious mafia of their time. They owned the system of money changers and merchants who sold on the Temple Mount and they controlled the economic system and the regulations that oversaw that system. They were becoming rich off of people's worship and off the poor. And we'll have to, we'll have to talk about some of this in footnotes because there's so much that we could talk about, but the selling of the doves. Jesus, when he was dedicated by his parents, he was dedicated by two doves because the family was poor. If you couldn't afford a lamb, then your next option was, was two doves. And Jesus is seeing something that he doesn't like about the way they're selling doves, in the buying and selling of that—that uh, that really re- refers to the buying and selling of of, of lambs. Uh, we'll talk about that in footnotes. We'll focus a little bit today on this idea of the money changers. The money changers see they—they they wouldn't allow people to use the Roman currency, the currency that helped them travel from wherever they were living to Jerusalem, they had to use Roman currency to, to go wherever they needed to go. But once they got to the temple, their currency wasn't accepted. It wasn't acceptable to the priests. And I can only imagine that the priests would buy low and sell high. All these things, the buying and the selling, the money changers, the selling of the doves, the carrying of merchandise, all these things were getting in the way of people simply connecting deeply with their God. But there, there's actually more going on here than meets the eye. And, and we know that because there's a little thing called a chiasm um, in this story. Jesus curses a fig tree and the fig tree becomes cursed. Those are the bookmarks. The chiasm is actually bigger than this. It's just a little bit bigger than this, but just to simplify things, I'm, I'm only including these pieces. In the center of the chiasm, he cleanses the temple, and then he provides a teaching. It's a teaching that's found in Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. It's not a teaching that he created. He's using the Old Testament text. He's using the text that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the scribes who were offended at Jesus' teaching. They wanted to destroy him because of this teaching. It's a teaching that they had full access to. And he uses a rabbinical teaching style. Um, Well, let me back up. The fig tree, we have to understand, represents the rabbinic teachings of the elders, the rabbinic teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes who were offended. And so when Jesus curses the fig tree and then he goes and cleanses the temple and he provides his own teaching, I mean, he says one basic line, right? It's a sentence, sentence long teaching that has a ton to it. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were offended because he's calling out their teachings. And one of the reasons why he's calling out their teachings is because they had a tendency to add to God's word. At the time of Christ, the 613 laws they added another 3,000 laws, and later on, within a few hundred years, they'd add another 3,000 laws. That's not complicated, right? They go from 613 laws to 3,600 laws, and yet Deuteronomy says this, whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away anything away from it. Whatever I command you, the Lord says, you should be careful to do. And don't add to it. And don't take away from it. And yet that's exactly why they needed money changers, because it was within the 3,000 laws that they said, we won't accept Roman currency. We won't accept currency that has the image of, of some person on there. It was their religious convictions that I am not gonna accept that money because because Caesar sees himself as, as being equal with God. It was their religious convictions that became doctrine. And then that doctrine led to distortion. And led to a priesthood that would put, you know, some of our celebrity pastors that fly around in private jet planes, they would put them to shame. They'd be poor compared to the opulent lifestyle that the priests were living within Jerusalem, the ruling class, the Sadducees. In fact, Marty has said that uh, there's not much... Other than what we see in the New Testament and Josephus, there's not much written about the Sadducees because God, in his mind, in Marty's mind, God so severely judged the Sadducees because they were so wicked that we actually don't have much written about them because (laughs) they're inconsequential today. But Jesus uses this rabbinical teaching style called Gezerah, Shavah. It's a comparison of equals. And he takes this Isaiah 56 passage where God talks about his house of prayer. And Jeremiah 7 where his house has become a den of robbers. And Jesus connects these two passages and says, this is the problem with the temple today. And oh, by the way, the problem is much bigger than just the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Everybody owns a piece to this problem. Isaiah says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Huh. That doesn't connect to our story at all, does it? For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I'll give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. Now give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, even the one who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant even those I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the people. This is to be a house of prayer. Who makes that possible? All of us. We all make it possible. We all make it possible for people to be able to come in freely. And again, I believe that when Jesus cleansed like 15 football fields, maybe more of space, of things getting in the way of people just coming to worship God. God. Now, to understand what Isaiah is talking about here, we have to understand, let's look at this next picture again of the temple. But the eunuchs, when they came to worship, they could only get to the court of the Gentiles. It didn't matter if they followed all 613 laws, had always been raised Jewish, or they're a proselyte and, they and they chose to become Jewish in their, in their adherence, they could only get to—can we see the next picture, Mike? There we go. Thank you. They could only worship within the court of the Gentiles. They were limited. This is according to Levitical law. But— God says, in my house and within my walls, they'll have a name better than that of sons and daughters. Even though in this lifetime, their access to worship would be limited, there would be a difference. God says, I see what's going on inside of your heart and I pay attention. See, sometimes we we see these differences in the scriptures and we're like, man, I don't like that. But God says, if you choose to worship me, regardless of those differences, I will see it. And I will pay attention. In Acts 8, we see a eunuch travel from Ethiopia to do exactly that. And and he's found with an Isaiah scroll. He's just a few chapters away from this passage when Thomas meets him on the road. It's one of my favorite stories. And he finds a little mud hole. and He says, what prohibits me from getting, what cuts me off from getting baptized right here, right now. Nothing cuts you off from that. And God says, I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And then in Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words saying this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For truly, if you amend your ways and your deeds, and if you practice justice between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I'll let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, behold, You are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk with other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. Remember the week before, Ho-shana, save please. We are delivered that you may do all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by name, my name, and become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says that your daily acts are your truest worship. How you act on the days that you're not at the temple, how you act on the days that you're not entering in through the church doors. That is your truest worship. Are we doing all that we can to help the alien, the orphan, and the widow? As individuals, are we doing all that we can? Are we living lives of integrity sexually? With the words that we say, with the way we handle other people's resources, with what we worship on the days we're not here. How are we doing? See, Jesus says in this chiasm, this fig tree be, being cursed. And then the cleansing of the temple and, and the teaching that they always had access to. And the fig tree showing that it's been cursed from the root up, a dry tree. Jesus says, it's your teachings. That's the problem. It's just the teachings that you've been, you're paying attention to. It's, it's those teachings that add to and take away from God's word. That's what's getting in the way. He condemns the teaching of the elders who get rich off the poor, who set up roadblocks to those who want to worship, whose lives don't match the worship. The implication is this. Do not let out-of-balance religious convictions get in the way of you or others drawing near to Christ. Don't let out-of-balance religious convictions, whether they're your religious convictions or someone else's religious convictions, don't let them get in the way of either you or someone else drawing near to Christ. You know, within recent history of the church, for, for some churches, for some people, how you dress matters. I remember I was wearing shorts last summer, it was a hot day, I was wearing shorts and a polo shirt, and I mentioned to this gal something about, I really enjoy, you know, being able to dress down for church in the summer. And she goes, oh, well, you're not wearing Shorts and flip flops at church, are you? I just went about my day <laughs> why, yes, I do uh, tattoos those who do and don 't have tattoos, those who do and don 't smoke. we have so many out of balance religious views even even recently within this last year, honestly, the way we talked about our political parties and and uh, and who is and isn't a Christian based off of their voting preference, I think can be a little out of balance. And then sometimes people have, other people have convictions that will keep you from drawing near to God. Like I've had so many people say, You know what? I would go to church, but this group of people said this. I go to church, but have you seen this guy's actions? And the reality is that there's going to be some wolves in sheep clothing. We're we're told that. Some people who claim to be Christian are are not, not Christian at all. Some will come to Jesus and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. The fact that Jesus would say that, that scares me. and makes me live circumspectly in my relationship with him. I want to make sure that Jesus would never say to me, away from me, I never knew you. And Jesus says, woe to those that stumbling blocks come. He, goes, he says it's inevitable. It's, all, it's going to happen. But woe to you if you are a stumbling block for someone else to draw near to God. We need to pay attention and figure out if our words have inadvertently created a roadblock for someone else connecting deeply to our God. Where are we out of balance or where have we let someone else who's out of balance get in our way of connecting deeply to our God? And it starts with rooting out where you have added and take away from the scriptures. And we've heard phrases like, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Cleanliness is close to godliness. It's not in the Bible. Uh, if you love God, you will have success everywhere you go. It's not in the Bible. God will not give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Baloney. He does it regularly. God gives me so much that I can't handle that he has to show up. And if he doesn't show up, I'm toast. That is the reality. But we have added to God's scriptures. And some of us are predisposed to add to the scriptures. Like like the Pharisees, honestly, in large part, they were just trying to live out their faith faithfully. But they let their religious convictions become dogma. And then dogma to doctrine. To thus saith the Lord. Lord. The Pharisees, they were like, they, they had a zeal to them. They wanted to, they wanted to honor God so badly that they, they became hypervigilant. It wasn't from an evil heart. The Sadducees, they had an evil heart. They just wanted to get rich. They wanted to profit from their service. But the Pharisees, they are probably an awful lot like you and I. Just wanting good things from God for them and the people around them. But their means weren't justified. So some of us are predisposed to add, add, to God's word. Some of us are predisposed to subtract, to take away, to ignore, to not want to look at those passages. Neither adding nor taking away is what God is looking for out of a faithful response. Number two, in your religious observance, show how you love God through Loving your neighbor. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this. to Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, using that same rabbinical teaching tool, the comparison of equals, he says, this is how you show God you love him. By loving the people around you really, really, really well. And it shows up in our care for the alien, the orphan, and widow. It shows up in our sexual integrity, the integrity of our words, and then the integrity that we show when we are managers and faithful stewards of other people's resources, when we don't steal from our boss. When we our faithful workers when we punch in on the clock. And when we are faithful in our worship, we have an integrity with how we worship our God, that our worship on Sunday looks no different than any other day of the week. That's how we love our neighbor well. Those are the kinds of things... they help you love your neighbor well. And then number three, look for, look for the outsider and invite them in. There have been so many people that have been pushed out through the actions of the church, of people within the church. Whether they're Christ followers or not, it doesn't really matter. They represent the church in some way and their actions were harmful. And we have to look for those people, invite them back again. There was a gal, uh, she tweeted this last week. When she was in her teens, her Sunday school teacher told her that she would never, never amount to anything in the kingdom of God because her mom was a single mom. What a horrible thing to say. I was so pissed. And I'm just reading about something that took place 18 years ago. What an ungodly thing to say. What an unloving thing to do. What an out-of-balance view. And those people need to have a different experience. And it starts by the way we love them before they ever choose to walk through our doors. And so let's look for them. Let's help them get reconnected to the the true God. Because can you imagine showing up for Passover and, and there's money changers, people selling doves, people that you know they're taking advantage of you, People buying and selling of sheep because, wow, somehow my sheep no longer meets the mark of my 1,500-mile travels. I am unblemished when I left. I wonder why it's blemished now. We'll talk more about that in footnotes. But all these hindrances to worshiping God, and Jesus says, I can't stand this. I won't put up with this. And I don't think it was just Jesus. It's 15 football fields. He wasn't doing that by himself. He had help. I think the whole crowd was tired of it. The just one house that Christ is creating keeps the rules simple. The outsiders are in. We're generous. We're the generous ones. We protect the alien, orphan, the widow. We value Sabbath. We value God's laws. And our worship outside these walls is as consistent as our worship inside these walls. That's the house that Christ is creating. And that's the house I want. And that's the house I need for myself. And we come each week to communion To reflect on Christ, to remember, remember that our sins are forgiven. That Christ paid the penalty. Because the reality is, this message is convicting to me. I don't know if it's convicting for you. When we think about all the areas that. I need to have integrity. When I think of all the ways that my worship needs to be consistent wherever I go, that my truest worship is what happens outside of these walls, it challenges me. And I have to go, man, Lord, I, I made some mistakes this week. And I need you. And again, Jesus wants to clean house for us too. But he wants us to be part of the process. He wants us to be the ones who get excited for how, for the things that he's excited for. And understand the teaching that's always been there for us to access.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.